Growth Warrior Podcast with Promise Felon. Oh, friends and warriors, this is Promise Felon, CEO and founder of The Growth Warrior. What you're about to hear is a conversation with a good friend of mine, Teresa Reef. She is so cool. Um, and in her in her day job, she is the owner of Genesis Building Services in the Bay Area. Um, it's a far-reaching conversation. And what's super cool about Teresa is not only is she a spiritual gangster, but she's also someone who's been through a tremendous amount of just turbulence, the struggle, right? The struggle is real as an entrepreneur running a family-run company. She talks about actually getting arrested, so we go there, and all the lessons that she's learned running a company for, God, almost 20 years, I guess, right? Uh, April 20, April 2003 to today. I hope you enjoy and I can't wait to hear your thoughts about mine and Teresa's conversation. And we get into some things around being anti-fragile and building anti-fragile companies, about building a dream team, and even into like spiritual practices and it goes there, enjoy yourself. Okay, so I'm super excited about doing this with you and thank you for carving out the time. You look very pretty, love the scarf. Thank you. Um, so basically, uh, I think you know this, 2018, I sold my company to a public company and at that point decided I want to help entrepreneurs who look like me, who look like you, women, people of color, diverse founders, to understand the process of building and scaling and exiting a company. So I wrote a book, which is behind me somewhere, Way of the Growth Warrior, and um, I started a company that mentors these guys. And so... Um, these, these podcasts, Teresa, have been a way for me to have long-form conversations with successful entrepreneurs going into the process of how did you get funded? How did you scale? But what everyone seems to be most interested in is how are other founders and CEOs dealing in uncertain times? And so what I would love to talk about with you is like, tell me the whole Genesis story um, and then I'm very interested to hear what I think is probably the most interesting warrior story that I've ever heard, which is you going through a pretty extreme uh, season in, in your professional life. Yeah. So, uh, you're speaking to entrepreneurs. So awesome. Give me the yeah. backstory. I'll give you high low. Genesis is, uh, it was started in 2003 by me. Uh, I was 24 at the time, but it is fourth generation janitorial business. So started with my great grandfather as a window cleaner in 1927 in San Francisco and uh, went down each generation. And then I run it with uh, my brother, Rob. He came on six months later. And um, yeah, we've been, we've been running it every, ever since. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure. There's so much to talk about with this business. <laughs> it's, so four know, generations. So four generations in the business. And then was Genesis an extension of your, of your parents or was it? Yeah. So both, so it went down my mom's line. So, um, and then, but actually my dad ran it and then my mom made sure all the trains showed up on time. So she was like hub of the, of the back office. And so when I took over, I essentially took her role of making sure everything ran and I was I was always kind of uh in the the background I, I brought Rob in uh to be the sales and the client facing um and and handle some of the operations but but I was pretty much the 
thinking a few years down the line, where are we going? That, that was kind of, has always been my role. Got it. So a couple of questions. So four generations. So does that mean you grew up in the family business? So going to the office with mom and dad, like that kind of thing? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it was, they were in the city at the time in San Francisco. Um, and I mean, our life was, they had very, it was cool to be raised by parents that ran a business together and knew how to handle the relationship part. You know, they didn't bring the business home. They actually wouldn't really, they didn't really talk much about it. Um, and then, but I realized that I was being groomed without knowing it because, you know, not having a friend over while they were out of town was a liability issue, right? Like, or like, you know what I'm saying? Like they always had that business perspective of anything going on in our lives. So when I, I, at, even at 24, which I mean, I really didn't know what I was doing, but <laughs> I, right? even at 44, you're, well, you're, you're 24 years old and, and you've got this like 55 year old man that knew you from high school is now you're now his boss, right? <laughs> you got to learn to tread light and, and really listen. And I spent those years just trying to absorb as much as I could. Um, but I didn't have I didn't have this like burning entrepreneur spirit. It was, it was, my dad was sick uh, and the company wasn't doing well. And at the time I had just been an admin in the office and um, this was a solution to get him out to cover debts that the family had had. And I never thought that I would still be doing it. And then I got into it and, and realized I, I really loved it. I mean, I loved the trying to put all the pieces together of the business and and how things can grow and, and making these yeah. these little micro shifts that you watch you know change over time. Um, that's the part I, I really enjoy and I dig into. So it's interesting. Um, I feel like modern entrepreneurship is about like SPACs and making a bazillion dollars, but in reality, it came from necessity. Either you didn't have college education and you had to become an entrepreneur because you couldn't go the normal line or like me my first company I started in college because my family could no longer afford to pay for college and so it was out of necessity so two questions for you one tell me what Genesis does but the other second question is I, I think a lot about privilege and so the privilege of growing up with two entrepreneurs maybe you don't think of it as privilege but it's definitely a privilege. And so tell me what the company does, but also tell me what you were learning as a kid that looking back is like hugely valuable in your life. Oh yeah. So it's a commercial janitorial. We've pivoted to facility services. Uh, at the time my dad did it, he had a pest control division, which we just sold. Um, and yeah, the things that I look back on that, they knew how to treat people. They knew how to create yeah. loyalty. I, you know, um, the memories I have growing up are of them taking in a woman and her two kids because her husband had tried to burn her, you know, uh, like, and so she lived with us with her kids and, huh. you know, it, it was that, it was that family, family. business side yeah. that, yeah. that, you know, you know, making that pivot to be more corporate and make that make money is what we're in now. And I'll talk about that, but like, but at the time it was, it was really, there's just nothing more important to this. At the end of the day, we clean toilets for a living. You know, we're not solving the world's problems. Humble as hell. That is right. so humble. <laughs> but, 
But what we can do is people are our product, right? So I treat, the, you know, how we are with them, that's our opportunity, right? Like, like to, to treat people that maybe in this world don't get treated well, because you don't have to treat them well. Like I say that with my clients, how I find clients is, um, you know, we're the, we're the vendor that you don't have to treat well. Right. You know, like, like you, you don't have, like we're, we're, we're bottom of the food chain in some, in a lot of ways. And so you really see who people truly are. Um, and, and, yeah. and we obviously stick with the clients that, you know, <laughs> understand, yes. um, but you very quickly see the ones that, that because there's no reason to treat you like no one's going to see it. You know, like, like, uh, you know, you get things like, oh, well, your, your janitor was eating in my lunch air in, in the, in the lunch area. And I'm like, yeah, he's probably hungry. You know, he's probably hungry. <laughs> he's a human. He does. He does. Is that the designated lunch, you know, you know, and stuff like that and whatever. I mean, we work with clients. It's not like that, but it's just, it, it's, it's an interesting look at people, uh, being in this, in this industry, a, a, a beautiful look, actually. A beautiful look at people because it's, it's not sexy, um, but everyone needs their toilets clean. Yes. So, um, so, so young Teresa comes back from CU Boulder. You've been partying in the mountains, in the Flatirons, yep. Colorado, and you come back, you're married. Uh, yeah, we got married three months after. We were engaged for three years of college. And then we got married uh, in August of, after we graduated, so. So you come back to the Bay Area from Colorado yeah. and your, your parents are struggling with the business. What did, you, what, what did you decide to do? Like how conscious was that decision to start the company? And then how did you capitalize it when you started it? So, <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I was like an admin, right? So I was running their mobile, uh, mobile car cleaning division. Um, which was a fun division because the guys, I, you know, most of the time I'd have to fire him for hot boxing the van, right? Like, <laughs> I love people. My goodness. <laughs> so, so um, you know, I wasn't, I just, and I was planning my wedding. Like I wasn't doing much, right? And then I watched things and I'm watching my mom get more and more like this when I'm walking into her office and, and, you know, I'm just seeing things shake. Um, you know, their business partner, he had been having trouble and I walked into my mom's office. I was like, you know, if you need to terminate me, terminate me, I can go find another job, you know? Um, and, and she's like, no, no, no. And really, you know, this wasn't like me going out with like a pioneer spirit. Like this was, this was, I walked into my dad's office and he said, here's this, or here's this corporation. Um, there, this is the company we need started and you're going to buy our business. And I said, well, what, what is this? And he said, no, 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 you're just going to do this thing. <laughs> Don't ask any questions. Don't ask any questions. I just paid for your wedding, you know, like. <laughs> I'm your dad. Right? I'm your dad. And so, and, and you know what, that's, that, that was totally good with me. Like if, you know, I was not doing anything, I was in a place to do it. And uh, so I bought, uh, I bought the, I started a new corporation. I bought the assets. Um, I bought a lot of the debt too. Um, and, and so to start out, it was really, my only goal was pay off the family debt. I wasn't planning on staying or anything like that. And, um, you're talking six figures, seven figures, eight. 
We were, so at the time I took it over, it was about 80 employees and 3 million. Um, and, and, you know, and then what happened was Rob and I, like I brought Rob on six months later and we've really run it like 50, 50. Um, and we got this opportunity for this big client and we had to do, uh, we had to do a whole proposal where we went in and presented and Rob was an actor, right? So he's like, we got to get in character and all this stuff. And so like, I, we're, you know, we prepared for this. We had like, it was just, it was cute. It was cute. You know, I mean, I was 25, 26 years old. And so we nailed it and we got this account. And after that, we knew who we were, right? We, like we had a brand, we had Defining a moment. Defining moment. Us. And we had fun. And, um, and that was a great account for us for many years. And, and so it just, we realized, like, we realized what, what we are together, like Rob and I work really well together. And uh, so then it was, it became more choice, like that I was really in something that I, 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 I can do and I, I do well. And you're yeah. inspired to do and it's family. Yeah. So um, one of the things that you you spark me as is this multi-dimensional creature right I mean you've you took over your parents business you cleaned it up you made it something that was scalable and repeatable and and predictable you've worked with your brother I've got two brothers so I, I kind of know what that feels like uh so I get it but you went through a moment that I've I've never heard of and um you know being an African-American woman and being in tech I've had like a lot of micro moments of, of challenge, right? And my biggest challenge was when I was running a company called Tap Influence, um, I walked into a culture that was very different than what I was used to. And so I got blasted on social media by the people who were very comfortable kind of working in a part-time job and getting paid full-time. And so I that was such a, a catalyzing moment, Teresa, in my life where you go search your name or your mom does and someone's calling you really nasty racist evil things yeah and you got to kind of like and so i thought that i went through you know the crucible right. uh, i did not <laughs> so, no i'll give it to you i'll give it to you yeah no it was funny because 2008 right where banks aren't loaning and we we had a whale of a client default and like getting through that like i remember being like oh man i have been right. through it right like i i was like you know going to banks just like left and right and all this kind of stuff and um i had one saying you're very passionate but no <laughs> like like they patted yeah. me on the head you, you know and so and so we got through that and i i was like listening to like florence and the machine dog days of whatever and i'm like i've made it i'm over and then two months later was when everything hit and and i i couldn't listen to that song for five years by the way right but but uh um, I got raided by the Department of Insurance um, for underreporting workers' comp payroll, and I had done it. So it was it was pretty much set up from the beginning, um, and it was there was a moment of, like it, it when it happened. There's kind of this like I think they talk about it in the movie Usual Suspects, where like the guy that did it sleeps well because it's over, right? Yeah. Like you know. Um, it was a part of my life that is not who I am. You've seen me enough, you know this. And, and I did it and both are true. And um, we just had a business model that that was how we were keeping, that was how we were funded. Um, and I didn't know 
how to make the company successful without it. And then once, I mean, workers' comp insurance is really boring, but yeah. once you kind of, you kind of bury yourself with you, my XBOD was like 210%. And, you know, so, so you're kind of, once you do it, you're, you're buried in it. Right. Like, and, and to get out of it, you'd have to pay like, you know, overinflated rate to get yourself out. And I, I learned, I mean, you know, so it started an eight year journey. That was 2011. And then we were, you know, I got sentenced in 2013 and then 2000, end of 2018, I got off probation and I, I paid the 2.1 million restitution. So let me, let me, let me just kind of summarize. Those are the highlights. Yeah. You, right. You because, um, <laughs> because one of the things that I say to, to CEOs and founders that I mentor is the CEO sets the ethos and the pace for the business. Yeah. And so you are a mom, you have three incredible boys, you have a dope husband, um, and you live in Palo Alto. I mean, you, you know, you've got that life and you're a woman and you're all these things, you come from a great family. And so this little thing becomes something that was actually an ethical snowball for you and your family. So when you started doing it, did it feel like, you know, this underreporting was a big deal or did, did it feel like it was just an accounting thing that was happening that wasn't really your job? Like how, how did you see your responsibility before the feds came in essentially? Yeah. Um, it, I didn't realize till I was already in it, what it was. I had already, like, it was already a year in because, because we're large enough that we do, there's audits, right? Um, and so when I saw what was being reported versus what was, so if, if I was to say that, that was kind of the moment of, of the first moment of real choice. And I cared more about the family obligation and being, being, um, being that for my family, if you want to right. talk about pride, it wasn't greed; it was pride. Breadwinner um, is that what you mean when you say that? Providing, like the one to be the the one that helps, right? Like okay. I'm the youngest daughter, and here I am, and I oh, I'll do it. Um, and I didn't have kids at the time, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so it just and then I just had a lot. The thing that I'd want entrepreneurs to know is when you don't take a stand on something you have all these reasons why okay and the moment it happened 2011 they come in our business was running squeaky clean from that moment on right and we took a stand because we had to because we had no choice and we didn't go under right i mean we were hanging on by our fingernails at some points but when i just said no um everything had to change around me and there's so many things I think we get faced with where we're like, oh, this is a gray area. There's no way to solve that. And as a business owner, I know you get faced with it every day. Yes. Um, but you, there has to be some things that you're willing to take the hit for the no. Just say no. And, and you, the answers show up. They, they really do. Um, and I, if I was talking to myself before, Younger, I, yeah. I wanted her to know right take a stand on things or be like yeah 
So my only equivalent experience, which again is not similar, um, I was brought in by the board of a company and um, you know how you classify cost of goods sold, you know this, everyone has their own way of doing it. It can be creative. And I remember um, looking at how it was done prior to me joining. And um, it, was, it, was, it was inaccurate. And then um, I went back and I looked at a bunch of the deals that had been closed and I saw what was in the, in the books and how things were recognized. And I saw it was in the contract and there was a deep contrast. And at the time that I uncovered all this, I was fundraising for this company. And I realized like, do I, like honesty always comes to the surface. It always comes up. So do I wanna take this hit now? Or do I want to take it later? But I'm getting the lump regardless. So I guess that that's a question for you is like, when you realized this was happening, was there a point where you said, I know that if I don't take a stand right now, that it's going to come back? Like, how did you negotiate with yourself in terms of how you were going to lead that company? You mean before or after? Before. I just kind of put it in a corner because everything else of how I treated the people, and I told myself a lot of lies, right? Like of, I treat my people well, I'm responsible for all these people. You know, it started at 80, it was at 200 at that point, you know, like I, I told myself that the family couldn't, you know, that, that, that my bit, like the families that I was responsible for were more important than this. And I told myself because I wasn't profiting and I always made sure the insurance companies didn't lose money. So you create reasons, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. that, that make you okay. Nobody, I don't think anybody, I mean, look, I've spent a few nights in jail now. I was lucky to have house arrest, but I will tell you that they don't do it thinking they did something really wrong. They have a reason, right? <laughs> you, have, you have something that makes it okay so you can swallow it. And, you know, when you're really being truthful, you know, I mean, I, pretty much I just tried not to think about it, right? It was one weekend a year or one one that like I would have to create these audits. And because it was me, I pierced the corporate veil. It wasn't the business that got hit, it was me. It was you personally. It was me personally. That happens. I mean, investor lawsuits happen, um, employee issues happen. So, so, So the story is they realize you're doing this and then do they come to your house? Like, like what, what is a raid actually? Is it like on, on television? Like, what is it? Do people yeah, watch like FBI? Like what, is, what actually happened? So they're not, it's not federal. This is state. So okay. that is different, which I now know. Um, but like uh, it's, they raided, it was a, it was a, a coordinated effort. They raided my house and my office at exactly the same time. So they were waiting at my office for me to pull out of my house. Once I pulled out, they came, they, they descended like, oh. yeah, I, I don't know how many, cause you're in a little shock, but it, you know, it felt, it was definitely over 10, maybe 20. I, I can't tell you, but like, and I was pregnant with Emmett, my youngest. And so they pull out a chair and they have me sit in the garage while they like swarm. And I had Sawyer, my middle one with me. And one of the officers like accidentally knocked him over at one point and they're like, oh God, you know, like, I'm like, it's fine. It's like, I'm, we're not doing that. Um, but so they, they pulled, there wasn't really anything at my house. So, so, but they took every computer. These are the things you don't know. They take every computer. They take all of your files. You don't see that stuff. 
they give you the computers back. They take a copy of everything. You get it back like after two weeks, right? But they they take the files. I didn't. I don't think I saw the files for like four years. I we had to recreate all of our personnel files, all of our client files, and it was 2011. We had just we were on Salesforce, so we had a little bit of our client list on there. Yeah. But we couldn't, they were like, how are we supposed to run payroll? And they just said, it's not our, not our problem. So this is a crisis now for your family, for your yeah. community, for your extended family, your employees, your company. What are like the, because right now, Teresa, a lot of companies are, go, are in crisis. Yeah. And they're um, looking at different options that, I, God, I, you know, they need to talk to me. <laughs> so, I mean, you went through the most uncertain times, like what? In your faith, what did you rely on? Like, what things did you do to power through that experience and not lose yourself, your family, and your company? Well, this was before all my Tony Robbins personal development work. So this yeah. was me, right? And uh, I remember at the beginning, you know, like the end of the night, the first night, right? And, and, and looking at John and I'm like, this is going to be long. And yeah. I... And it's, it, we're just starting. And, and I, I was like, I don't want to come out of this bitter. Um, and maybe that wasn't the first night, but definitely it was early. I was like, I was like, this, this time is going to be long and I don't want it to have just passed. Like, you know, COVID with this last year, like I know this dance, right? Like, you know, people put yeah. their lives on hold because something scary happens. No, life keeps going. Right. So we, we, um, we had five continuances for my sentencing. So um, how that plays out is you go in thinking you're going to get sentenced and figure out what your fate is because it's all gambling. And um, and then the judge is sick that day. <laughs> yeah, I've never gambled so much as I did when I entered the legal system. Um, and then and then or the the whatever somebody's not there, something didn't happen. So five times it continued, and we would make a game of it of how much time between each court date. Yes. What can, what can be accomplished then? What fun thing can we do? Like I, we, we took the kids camping for the first time, you know, we took trips to like a friend of mine brought me up to Tahoe, like, and then I had a 13 week stint and I was like, we need to sell our house because John, I knew if I had to go to jail, John couldn't take care of the kids oh in that house. And so I was like 13 weeks. All right. We're doing the kitchen remodel and the bathroom to prepare it to sell. Like it was all builder grade stuff. It just looked pretty, right? Like, because like, we had a realtor say, your house is great, except for these two things. You do that, you'll get more. I was like, great. So we did that. And, and then like, we did the 13 week turnaround and then I got sentenced. And then I had, I had uh, eight weeks to get us, buy a new house, get us prepared and into a new house. So it was intense. It was it was intense. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot about what's happening with COVID and I've seen so many companies just crush it and just create. So one of the companies in my portfolio is a software as a service company. And I talked to the team and I'm like, what are we going to do? You know, this is in April of last year. And they said, we're going to offer lifetime subscriptions. We're, we're, we're going to move away from this monthly crap. We're going to move towards because our customers don't have money. And so it drove like a seven 70% growth month over month for like a quarter. And then that obviously, you know, didn't say it was aggressive, but like the customers loved it. It felt good in the market. So that's kind of the opportunistic side, yeah. but the self-management, the, how you power through it, like 
tell me what you did. Like, did you, um, what'd you tell your team when this crisis happened? Did you pull in all hands? What'd you do about your economics? Well, the, the office was empty. There were no computers or files. So everyone knew. <laughs> Something happened. Right? Like they were, they were standing outside watching trucks go out, like little hand trucks of all of our stuff. Did they quit? No, nobody quit. That's what I'm telling you is, is the things that I learned from my family was, was how to create uh, an office environment that people just want to be in. And um, they know... They know that when I sit and spend time with them, when Rob sits and spends time with them, we, it's not just to make them more productive. It's, I really give a shit. Like, like I really care. My, my, the people I've had to fire either, I've had a person hug me after I fired them. I've had them come back and apologize to me after I fired them because they knew that I was, you know, I probably, my issue was I probably, it wasn't, I probably stayed with them too long. I was too loyal, you know? Um, but you can still keep that, that feeling of just really care, you know, that heart centered leadership. Um, you can't fake that. You can't just, oh, well, I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to ask about how their day was before I get to the stuff I really want them to do. No, you have to care what their day is about. Like, you can't. You it's can't. a big deal. It is, it's a huge deal. I mean, the, the thing I would say yeah. to my employees, I was like, we, and this was before everything happened, is you spend too much of your life here for it not to be a place that you enjoy. And that played out. So anything that they needed with like changing their jobs, working with them, and they knew that I cared most about where they were going. Right. You know? And so they didn't leave. Nobody left. Everybody just, you know, uh, my my pest manager, I, God love him. He uh, he like sat his butt right. He wouldn't leave the office. He just sat there and watched them pull everything out. Like he's just like, I don't have to leave. I'm not leaving. And you know, he's just he's just he's kind of a good old boy, you know. So and like he just like took, he just got really protective and fantastic. So. <laughs> This is remarkable. I always, whenever I talk to you, I always have a different experience than what I'm expecting. And so this is, this is that, I mean, what, what I think you've just articulated is how to build a culture of resilience. Yeah. Because when you care about people, they care about you and they forgive you. Right. So. Because like, they have all the times that you've given them that. Exactly. And you, you've given them grace. And so like, so your, your, your company gets raided. Your pest guy is like, take that computer, but not that one. Like, so he's kind of holding down the ship. He's trying, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're in jail, which is crazy. Well, no, I got, they don't, they don't, uh, they, two months later, I got arrested. This was just them taking the stuff. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So they, they go and they use all your stuff against you and yeah. start to build a case. Yeah. And, um, you, you, you go to jail. Mm-hmm. Your, your company has clients and contracts. I mean, I don't know government or what have you, but you've got stuff you've got to deliver on. You have no computers. You probably have accounts that are seized. You've got all this stuff that's happening. Like you must have hunkered down so hard. Like and you were just had a baby. No, I was pregnant. <laughs> I was due. So this happened in February. I was due in June probably make a coffee you know like now that I've had a baby but like 
how, like, talk me through it. Like, so you hunker down. What, how do you rebuild the business when this is happening? So you get down real quick to what matters. And this is why, you know, I don't love what has happened with COVID, but I love the opportunity people have had to realize that they had so much stuff they thought that mattered. And when you really get down to it, like a fraction of it mattered, you know, and, and, and to, to, you know, it gets you crystal clear on what you've got to do. You know, I, you know, of course we met with an attorney like day. I mean, that day I was meeting with an attorney. He was getting me in front of a criminal attorney. And then, uh, cause I didn't know any (laughs) and like, um, uh, you know, Rob became the CEO. He, he already was the client face. Okay. So, so there wasn't, and then the people that knew me, they knew me, you know, um, we keep our clients for decades, not, you know, like it's like, I have a client that passed from one generation to the next, like uh, we dealt with his father and now it's us, you know, and, um, we lost one client. And I, we were going to cancel her anyway, because she, she was a pain, but uh, that was it. In my book, I talk about this concept of anti-fragile relationships. Have you read that book um, by Nassim Nicholas Taleb? So he's an economist. He wrote Black Swan. And the whole concept around, um, around economic physics and chemical systems, so biology is that things get stronger the more stress you put them through. Yeah. Marriages, bodies, muscles, relationships companies so did you feel like as a result of this happening on some level your company was better oh god yeah I mean it it just cleaned house right you know and then the the things that just need, didn't need to be there you know caught fire right like it just <laughs> fire and now right like like they just burned off like excess whatever and like I it it did and it went on so long that the, it, um, I, it went on so long that there were things that were created. We couldn't focus just on growing the business. You know, I mean, eight years is a long time to be, time. you know, and, and Rob stepped up. I was doing the best I could, you know, like it. And then he, we, when I had the baby, we thought, oh, well, maybe we'll just, you just, why don't you just actually take maternity leave? Cause I never had, this is my third kid. We didn't understand the concept of maternity leave for me. And, and I had a few months at home with Emmett, which was beautiful and I was still working, but, um, but, but it just kept going. It just, so, so there was a lot of ugly things that were created in that amount of time, because as much as we were trying to keep it positive and what whatnot um we were always waiting with this this big restitution hanging over us of how does this get fixed um and then so i wasn't uh able to see some things that were starting to decay and you know when i went to business mastery in 2017 we were we were on life support um you know so we and and then i did i did some the fires that i needed to do uh, and, and that's when I started shifting on how I hired, of hiring people that were way smarter than me (laughs) and, uh, and listening to them and having them, uh, stand for my business in front of me and be, you know, like that's when you have someone that cares enough about 
what they're providing for you in, in your business that they will stand up to you, you have the right person, right? Uh, and that was the shift of, I had previously hired people that fit a, a great family structure, um, but weren't really bringing more to excel the business and move us. And was that just a natural prof professionalization of the business on some level? Yeah, because I feel like you've pointed out two really big things. So one is anti-fragile relationships start with actually caring about people, your, your clients and customers, but also your team. And then just letting them know, hey, I was wrong. So being honest and kind of owning what's yours. But the other piece is this whole idea of like, of how you built your team. The fact that your brother could step in and run the company, it's huge. So a lot of the founders I work with will have like themselves and like a couple of people who are off on the periphery, but not a really strong founding team. And what I think you're saying is your brother could step up and, and run things in your absence. So he's kind of your co-founder on, on some level, right? In this he business. really is. That six months is not really material. Like he really, we've, we've always looked at it that we were doing it together. So that, that having someone who's at your level and who can run the business but what you're talking about now is, is professionalizing. So you've got this family-run company for 20 plus years. It's kind of run like a family business. Things happen. And now you move into the point where you're hiring people. Like I think your CFO, you're hiring like smart guys who have different experiences than you. What was that like? And what were some of the learnings of really up-leveling the organization? Yeah, I think what I realized was if, if we hadn't been hit by the legal stuff, I probably would have been doing that stuff like five or six years before. So then once I figured this out and we were on this in this position, um, it like because who I hired, like we've talked about this, my CFO was kind of became like a mentor, right? And he huh. was a mirror. I, I hired someone that was in my day-to-day -day business willing to get dirty and he would mirror back to me what I was doing. And if you don't have someone in, in your business that's doing that, you, I, you're not gonna know who you are. Like you just can't, I don't know how you can know who you are without someone that's willing to tell you, you know, you're kind of an idiot. Like what you just said was just ridiculous. Like. <laughs> so the truth tellers, um... I think that's really interesting. I've, I've got a company that I, I work with and the, the CEO has, he has this issue where everyone around him just says, yes, yes. Oh yes, you're right. Yes, yes, yes. And dysfunction just persists. So what is not okay now that you have this guy at the table? Well, I, I realized for me more, where my management weakness was that I, I, I came from a place of scarcity that I had to make sure everybody was on board and, and with me and not thinking that maybe they shouldn't, maybe they should go like, you know, I wasn't willing to clean the team, right? Like to hold them to a high standard, wow. you know? Um, and, 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 you know, and I love that that's where, who you are, like wanting to be liked, right? Yes. Like, that was a, it feels terrible when you realize you've been running your business that way, right? Like that you wanted to make sure that everybody, you know, and I'm not like screamingly insecure, but I had just created a family outside of my, it's still a business, you know? <laughs> gotta perform friends. I gotta perform. And so, so, you know, the things that aren't tolerated now um, is really 
you you have to complete like they're getting he's he's uh he's really turned the team around to 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 see a process through to the end and ownership that creating ownership in every like at every level that they really have to they have to figure it out and then they get they get to look back and say i did that thing you know um so a lot of it is um I, I've joked about this, how I've really made my tra my transition. This is a larger topic from operator to owner um, and got out of the day to day is a lot of times I pretended I didn't know the answer. So you have somebody come up to you and look at you and, and you've done this. You, I've done every side of this business. You're not going to, you know, it's not going to be new, you know, right. and they come up and how, how would you solve this? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. Someone else should probably have the answer to that. God, that's hard. How do you solve that? You know, <laughs> and then they kind of think I'm like at some point I had to like dial it down. I'm like, okay, they really don't think I'm <laughs> confident. But uh, but it was effective because then they would come and they'd have this moment where they figured something out for themselves. They they have to make some of the same mistakes you made because they have to do it, right? It's funny. Um, one of the things I I feel. And I, this comes, so the way that Teresa, people watching the, and I know each other is we are both part of, I would say an exclusive group of people who um, got to experience um, uh, Tony Robbins. And we did so through, you know, kind of life events, professional events, spiritual, like we sort of went the gamut. And so I got to know Teresa and her husband, who's also an incredible individual. Um, but what I came away with is that business and entrepreneurship is a spiritual exercise. Like it, it is not like I'm just making money. It's, it sounds like you have gone through the crucible really and the gamut of, of emotions. But what I like about what you've just said is the anti-fragile relationships you have with your team and your customers, um, the, you know, sort of ability to um, uh, build out an organization where your brother could come and replace you, those were, you uncovered those as a result of the crisis. But what I heard you just say was a choice. I'm gonna go hire people who know more than I do and who are gonna hold me accountable. And I think that's something that most entrepreneurs are not comfortable with, yeah. right? It so feels terrible. It feels <laughs> terrible, right? I, I, there's a, a guy, my former CFO, a guy named Ken Chow, I'll never forget, told me, what you're doing or how we're running this sales organization and what we're allowing to happen is not okay. People are missing their numbers and we're not making like a lot of radical noise about it. And this is going to become culture. The culture is going to be, you don't do what you say you're going to do, blah, blah, blah. So if you think about the tenants of the culture prior to this new change, what were they and what are they now? So the culture prior was very much, you know, treat the people well, you know, come in in a good mood. <laughs> like, Interesting. Put right. your happy face. <laughs> right? Well, not so much a happy face, but come in open, right? Like it was always, you know, you could be who you were, but like, you know, and, and, and it wasn't, it's so funny, like you asking in that terms, I'm like, we didn't have any tenants, <laughs> you know, like it was really like, there just wasn't a lot of thought in who we were as a business. So it, it, it very much was, 
you know, unconsciously trying to get new business. It was just unconscious. You you talk about it being a spiritual journey as a, as an organism, you know, Genesis just wasn't conscious. Right. And, but, but, but we all like, you know, cared about each other, cared about what we cared about the service. And I think that hasn't changed is, you know, we had a lot of pride in, in that you couldn't get our level of service from the big guys, right? Like, um, you know, I, we, Rob and I would joke, we could go around to walk around a year after you sign on with the big guy and then you'll go with us, right? Because you, you, the, the price wasn't as exciting as you thought, all these things, you know, and then we come in and we keep you for decades. Um, so that was always there and that's, that stayed. And then as we grew, that became harder to maintain, huh. right? You had those growth points of how do we, how do, how do we scale, scale this yeah. feeling that we can give to our clients and make sure it's happening. And that's, it's actually, we're in a big jump point right now of it being um, like in the next level, right? Like of, of, of being able to still have that reach with our clients and our employees, um, but not not Rob and I's fingertips, right? Like beyond our fingertips. <laughs> so, yeah. If you were talking to, cause I feel like your tenants before were survive together. And, um, and then now it's almost like you said the word complete twice. You said, you talked about ownership and accountability. So it's moving more towards, um, you know, not accidentally hitting the mark, but like intentionally hitting the mark. So from surviving to intentionality, right? And like awareness is the bridge. But if you were talking and, and mentoring someone who's just starting a company, just starting out, if you take this 25 year incredible in, in experience, like what advice would you give them about building their organization, starting with themselves? Like what, what should they do? You know, it is like you I, that spiritual thing. I'm you're, I'm going to use that because it. You are your business, right? I saw it play out with my dad. When my dad was happy and healthy, the business was popping, right? And then when he wasn't, we were all on life support, right? And and it happened with me. If you track the business, you could probably track my level of awareness of myself. Um, and so don't discount that 80-20 rule. Yeah. It's 80% psychology and 20% operation. It's true. It's so ridiculously true. And we all just focus on the how over and over and over again. And it, it has nothing to do, it really has so little to do with it. Um, that's, that's for the people that are not at your level to figure out, right? That's for the people you hire to figure out the how of, uh, of where you're going. So really get hyper aware of who you are in the business because you're you're either the fuel or you're the brakes, you know. Um, you're of either the fuel or you're the brakes, right? Don't you feel it? Because you feel it. it, the business will start going really fast, and something in you goes, Ugh, right? Like you get, yeah. and and so you're the only one doing that the business would keep going. You know what I'm saying? I, I go back to, you know, CEO is the ethos and the pace. Like, like it's, it's, it's your ethics and then it's the pace at which you move. But what I like about, about what you said is your own spiritual awareness unlocks the business. 
So if you're not spiritually aware, you're definitely the brakes. Like you just have, you're, you're definitely the brakes. And if you are, there's a good chance you're the fuel, right? There's a really good chance. There's no guarantee, but there's a good chance you're the fuel. I also think that um, the way that you talk about your team is enlightened, which is there's no ego or there's no you know significance in what you said about asking someone ask you a question. You'd be like, that's a great question. I wish I had the answer for, you know, that is something that a lot of founders and early entrepreneurs do not do. They try to be everything, all things. And so the business only grows as their energy, their next level of energy expands. So yes. if I can operate here, that's where my, so I ran a company, Teresa, um, in my, in my mid twenties that if I went on vacation sales, if I, you know, was energized and something was going well sales and it, it just followed my trajectory. And I think that's so dangerous. Um, it's well, gotta it's be able to exist at, outside of you. It's looked at as like, you, you, how many times have you heard someone say, oh yeah, I left and this thing fell and this thing fell. And they're kind of proud because that means that they're important. They got, they're right? valuable. Yeah. And I would say to them, I'm like, if you go on vacation and someone bitches about your job, you failed. You failed. No one else. Because you cared more about you being the one that can do it than caring about the business being able to, to work without you. I mean, when I started taking vacations, we got better because I had to work to make sure everyone knew my job. I would work for months. You know, I took a three week vacation uh, to like on the Panama. It was like on a cruise ship. I mean, I was out to sea, like you could not get me, right? And this was like 2008 or seven. And I, we got better as a business because I had to do that, you know? And so for business owners, they walk around with, they have that swagger of what they're bringing in. And the, the, the minute you put your ego down, you can really grow because you want your team to do better than you. You want them to have the wins. Mm -hmm. So let me summarize, because again, I thought we were going to talk about just that one event, but of course you're always full of surprises <laughs> and we don't do any of the things that I think we're going to do. But um, so anti-fragile, which yeah. is a, a whole chapter in my book, but you talk about it as a result of what you went through. You saw the investment in your team and in your clients in the fact that they stuck around during the hard time. Um, second, this whole idea of a spiritual practice, Teresa, I believe that because um, in business, how we show up in our lives, like there's no difference between how my life runs and my business runs. And if I'm not aware or awakened in either, it's kind of screwed. Tula crying outside. Uh, so talking about team. So the fact that your brother could step in, Teresa, no one has that. People are not building companies with someone who has equivalent or better skills so that they can let go of the reins if something happens. And it's the number one reason why investors don't write checks. If someone comes to me with a great idea in a big market and they're like, it's just me and some junior developers. No, because um, I've been divorced while running a company. I've had a sick parent while running a company. I mean, like stuff happens. And if everything crumbles because of you, it's ego. And it's ego and no one should invest in that. No one should invest in that. Okay, so what final things mm. do you have to say? So you've got, you know, several hundred, couple thousand people listening to this, watching this. What, what else is top of mind that we did not cover that we should have, or we could? Uh, 
I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, I think to me, if, it, if I'm looking at an entrepreneur, really know why you're doing it. Know um, your why. No, like, and I know everybody talks about that and the, the Simon Sinek and everything, but um, it, I think we create these really big, big dreams and you've got to know the small reason. Um, the little, wow. like, like the little reason of, when I started to, what's really shifted for me is the why of what I get up in the morning, I can achieve anywhere. I can achieve, you know, for me, I want to serve, you know, we've talked about this specifically, I want yeah. to serve women and help them be the, you know, heal the world. I can do that in this conversation with you. I can do that in the larger programs that I'm working on with felons. I can do that in, in, in a very tiny way and I can do it by serving myself. Right. So find the why that you can look at and say, I, I achieve this just right now. I'm in it now. I'm experiencing this the, as if it happens. already happened. Um, and then you won't reach, you won't hit that wall where you, you know, that, that these young companies do where they've used fear or whatever to, to, to propel them. Wow. You're, you're powered by something way bigger. You're pulled. Um, and it's smaller than you think. Like, like the why is small. It's, yeah. it's the little kid you. It's not Teresa. It's Terry. You know, like. Right. <laughs> so get get really curious as to what really lights you up, and if you're in in the right place. Because if you could save yourself like that headache um, that I had, then you know, I'd served you today. Then. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I can relate to that. So, um, what are you doing right now? What's your role? What, what, what are you working on? Where's the company? So because I'm not in the operations, um, I you have transitioned not, out. You transitioned yeah, out fully. That October of 19, I stepped out and uh, then COVID happened and I resisted the urge to walk back in and save it. You know, um, I let it be and they did amazing and I'm so proud of them. So with that, I've really moved into I don't think that I was introduced to felons and and prison system for no reason. Um, me being me, that I had resources and uh, a life that I knew I could continue, I could close this chapter. Um, I got a front row seat to to people that um, need help and not help. They need someone to give them the tools that I have. Some of them that I have. So I've I've uh, I've become a teacher in feminine movements. Uh, and then I'm, I've, I'm doing a program called Freedom Conviction, which is the right of every human to rise up from their mistakes and live free. And of course, wow. that's talking about felons, but I think that that's talking about forgiveness overall for every human. Um, and if we can create forgiveness in ourselves, um, it, that might actually just change the legal system all by itself, you know, just, just by being able to believe that for ourselves spiritual exercise if we forgive ourselves we can forgive others right right um, it, it doesn't seem that hard so i'm working on um inspiring others to want to take their space where their um where their value what they do you know say they help entrepreneurs i don't know like do a little i don't know i'm just saying and right, what right, if they just right. wanted to do a class for some felons and uh, give them an insight of what they can do because they struggle with finding jobs and starting businesses and finding homes. And so I'm looking at the, the wonderful peer group that I'm in and saying, oh, if you wanted to donate an afternoon of your time, 
what would what would you want them to know? What would you want them to have? Well, it's funny. Uh, so I'm not putting you on the spot or not. I, I, I heard all that into all that insinuation, <laughs> all those nuances and all those drops. But um, <laughs> when I sold my company and I realized that so few African-American women or so few people of color, like it was the number of people who had, like I raised over a hundred million in venture capital and debt. Um, I've had multiple exits. I've run businesses. I've come in as CEO, all that. And then I, when I got to 2018 and I had this exit, I was exhausted but I realized that there were no people like me in the business. And so I decided to be a playful warrior for the economic advantage of the underdog. And so I've, I've gone to prisons. I was part of Defy at Defy and we would go into the Soledad state prison in the Bay area and work with, with felons on entrepreneurship. And what I learned is exactly what you said. I do that mission, my life's mission. I do it here. I do it with me. I do it with, you know, the people who care for this home and for my family. It's everywhere. It's in everything that I do. If it's a small conversation with an entrepreneur, it's still in everything that I do, right? And so I love that what you're saying is the most sustainable thing is the smallest thing, mm-hmm. right? Like you want to help women heal the world. Okay, that's happening just by you taking a shower, brushing your hair and going out into, the, you know, the community, Right. So I love that because a lot of founders think it's got to be a billion dollar this or a gazillion that, and that's crap. It's just that it's the smallest unit, not the biggest one that really is sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've loved this. Every time I talk to you, I'm getting to know you, but I learned a lot about you in this business. And I want to just commend you for the grace and the strength and resilience that you have and how you are so painfully honest about the darkest moment in your life and you just reinforce that this is a spiritual practice and so I, I love you for it and um yeah I appreciate you yeah I love this I love the opportunity to talk and anytime for you promise anytime